Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. Did my wife start that clap? Who, where's she at? Oh. Good to see you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, I haven't spoken a whole lot this summer. Our teaching team has carried it, which is awesome. We have an incredible team of communicators here. In two weeks, uh, I'm going to be launching a brand new series called Reimagine through my favorite book of the New Testament is the book of Colossians. And so we're going to be walking six weeks through that. Uh, I really believe it's going to be transformative. Colossians is so heavy and so in-depth in regards to what does it mean to live a resurrected life, not just know about the resurrection, but to live in the reality of it and uh, excited to, to walk through that with you. I'm going to preach a message this morning uh, I've entitled Disruptive Discipleship. I actually preached part one of this in June of 2021, but none of you remember that. So I probably could have just preached the same message, but I would have known. So I'm going to preach part two of it called Disruptive Discipleship. If you're in the room and you know me well, you know that uh, I struggle with disruptions. I, I like to have a plan, and I like it when my plan goes exactly according to plan. And I know this about myself, and so I, I really have tried to become more flexible throughout the years and just holding things loosely because how many know disruptions are inevitable, right? If you're not a fan of disruptions, you probably shouldn't fly anywhere right now. Anybody tried that lately? Uh, I'm traveling less than I used to, but anytime you fly right now, the, the airlines, airports, they're just uh, understaffed, undertrained, overwhelmed. In fact, this week I, I fly through London Heathrow almost every year, and I saw this week they had like a, a, a luggage malfunction, a baggage malfunction with their system, and so it created what they called in the news luggage mountain. Check out this picture. Literally thousands of bags just piled on top of each other. Yeah, you ain't ever getting that back. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's just like, you can see in the picture, like, that's mine right there. Yep, you're never going to see it again. And so literally they said there were just hundreds and thousands of bags that over like two days had just piled up, which I thought that's about par for the course right now. Uh, a couple of months ago, Pastor Jim and I, we were heading to Houston for our church planning conference we go to every year. It's always in a different city. And so we were in Houston. So I'm usually American Airlines to so kind of fly through Dallas. But this one, I, there was a United direct flight. And I was like, they can't screw that up, right? We'd have no layover. And so we should be able to get there. And I've had a lot of things happen on planes. Like I, I had three straight flights one time where there was a medical emergency. The guy in front of me had a heart attack. And literally I'm like helping him in the, in, in the, in the, on the floor, put him down and they're, they're doing all this stuff. And uh, one flight where they moved us off of the runway and our, our tires got stuck in the mud, in the grass. I didn't even know that was possible, right? They were like, just get off the plane right here. It's a, you know, we're not getting it out of the mud. And then uh, on this flight that Pastor Jim and I are on, we, we, it's delayed. And so they get over the intercom and they're like, your, your plane is driving around Houston airport because it needs 800 more pounds to take off. And so they're looking for sandbags. And in my mind, I'm just like having them stop at every terminal, terminal thing. And you got any, you got any sandbags in there? And just driving around the airport. And finally, we get on the plane. On the flight home, we have mechanical malfunctions. And so we're sitting and waiting forever. And then, I'm not joking, Pastor Jim and I are sitting next to each other in the middle of the plane. And the console above our head just falls down. <laughs> and it's hanging by some wires. And the first thing we think about is, we've got to put this back before they call maintenance. Right? Because it's going to be an hour of paperwork. The thought goes through my head of, I can hold that there for an hour and 10 minutes while we get home. I'm just going to hold it in place. And the guy behind me is like, don't let him see it. Don't let him see it. You know? I'm like, I don't want to let him see it. Eventually they saw it and they called for the maintenance. And obviously we got delayed again. And that's just kind of how it goes, right? Disruptions, a natural part of life. Two things that you already know but are worth saying again. Two reasons we experience pain, disruption, and disappointments. Number one is the brokenness of the world that you, you and I live in. 
things that you can't control. COVID being this massive disruptor of our life. I, I've realized about disruption, where disruption reveals so much that is already present or just underneath the surface. It's a great revealer. The second thing is this, the reason we experience pain, disruptions, and disappointments is because of our commitment to Christ, because we are committed to being healthy and because we are committed to living on mission. Because we have died to ourselves in this act of baptism where we go under the water in death and raised up out of the water in newness of life, we are now what saying to ourselves is we are not living for ourselves. We are living a cross, a cruciform life, and we will invite a level of pain into our life because of our commitment. Because of our commitment to live on mission, we will do difficult things that lead to a healthy soul. That is a part of our reality. We will invite a level of discomfort and disruption because we have said yes to Jesus and yes to being healthy. Second Corinthians is a book that unfortunately Paul has to write. He has to write this letter. There was a lot of Corinthian correspondence back and forth. We don't get all the letters in the Bible. We get first Corinthians and second Corinthians, but we know there were other letters. Can you imagine the disappointment Paul feels when he goes and he plants a church, he leads these people to Jesus, he lives with them for several years, and then he leaves like he always does to do a new work, and he gets word through letters that now they're turning their back on him, and they're following these false teachers that we're going to call the super apostles. And Paul's hearing this, and I just want to stop for a minute because sometimes you look at the apostle Paul and you're like, man, they did incredible things. You know how painful his life was? Do you know how many people abandoned him, turned their back on him, that he lived with? He, called, he would call them brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet they would just, just fall away? It's a painful reality of being the Apostle Paul. And here he is living with this, and he's, he's all, all this back and forth with the Corinthian church. What's going on? Why are you following these people? These super apostles or false teachers that infiltrated the church, and here's what they were saying. They were like, look at us. We're healthy. We're wealthy. Everything's going according to plan. We are people worth following. Look at Paul. Could you suffer any more? Look at all that he's going through. You're saying that he has some sort of revelation from God, some sort of authority to speak. Nobody wants to be like him. Follow us. Literally, they were trying to destroy the reputation of Paul by building up their own authority and reputation. Who do you really want to follow, church? Someone who suffers like him or someone who's living the good life like us? Now, most of us, if you don't live here, maybe you're visiting, we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in case you didn't know. And with living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just happens to be the epicenter of uh, a lot of charismatic theology and word of faith theology. Maybe you grew up in the word of faith. Anybody, anybody you're like, yeah, that was me. Yep, some of you in the room. I didn't grow up necessarily in a word of faith church, but it was adopted a lot of word of faith culture. We're not here to tear them down or to make fun of them. We're just, the reality is this, there was a lot of good things that were preached of believing God for the impossible and believing in the miraculous and trusting God. There's also that I've learned this, a lot of people in Tulsa deal with this uh, misuse of theology that says if you don't see the healing or you don't see God do something, it's a lack of faith or something is innately wrong or broken inside of you. How I many of that's unbiblical? If that was true, then Paul would have been the most unfaithful person on the planet, right? We know that not to be the case. And that, that, that dead ends in your faith at some point. That, that I'm not seeing God come through because of some deficiency that I'm experiencing. That's not, that's not the case. And it was also very similar to what the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians is dealing with. Man, if, 
if, if Paul is legitimate, then why is he suffering? If his faith is real, then why would he have to go through this? No, I don't think we want to walk down that path of suffering. We would rather walk down this path that's a whole lot easier. Paul would say this, in all of my suffering, Christ is glorified. He'd say, in all of my suffering, I boast in Christ's strength that's at work within me. All of my weaknesses are just an opportunity for Christ's strength to come alive in me. Let's read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. So let me tell you what's happening in the letter. He is directly addressing the super apostles who are giving their resume and credentials. They're giving the church and saying, look at all of the credentials we have. And Paul, I think, is going to hit him with the humble brag for a minute and saying, all of your credentials I can match and then some, but that's not really what it's about. Then Paul does something very strange that most of us would not do in this situation. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Sign me up for that. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is an incredible reversal of what these super apostles are doing. This is like the anti-resume. This is like you applying for a job and being like, you know what? Um, I'm chronically late and a little bit emotionally unstable. So when do I start? You know, <laughs> yeah, sign me up for that employee. He doesn't give all of his accomplishments. He actually goes in for a minute and says, yeah, I've got the resume, but I'm not even going to share with you my resume and accomplishments because that's not what it's about. Why does Paul do this? Because he, he's doing it for a reason. If I boast in my accomplishments, what I'm boasting in is my, myself. No, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses and my suffering because when I boast in these things, I'm boasting in the sufficiency and the grace of Jesus who got me through every one of them. See, this is so foreign to us. In a world where we just chase pleasure, comfort, and conveniences, Paul's saying, I am boasting that I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and God has never left me. He has sustained me in every valley. He's walking me, and I'm here today standing in front of you in love with Jesus, and that's a testimony of God's grace and goodness in my life. Paul wants the church to know it's not a lack of suffering that proves anything but your willingness to endure the pain, the suffering, and the disruptions and still give glory to God. Can you do that? Is your faith strong enough to give glory to God when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And I can't help but think there are so many modern day Christians today who are struggling or discontent or feel like their faith is not uh, up to what they want it to be. 
And I can't help but ask myself, is it possible that they're pursuing some American dream or good life or pleasure or comfort and not really the way of Christ that calls us to come and die? Is it possible that we are chasing something that will never get us where we want to go, that will never fulfill or make us whole, that will always be lacking? Is it possible? We expect fruit and growth and contentment without discomfort. We have a generation that wants all the benefits of growth, but none of the discomfort of growth. If it doesn't give you a good feeling, how can it be from God? If a task is unpleasant or a relationship goes through a difficult period, or if a job is tough, that's a signal to me to get out, to move on. See, growth comes through discomfort. There's no other way that true growth happens. And healthy people are growing and embracing discomfort regularly. They have normalized it. Unhealthy people make comfort and ease their highest priority. They'll do anything to achieve it. If you're taking notes and following along, if comfort is our God or our idol, then we will reject anything that hinders our pursuit of pleasure. We will reject anything that stands in the way of ultimately what I want and what I think will result in the good life. Unfortunately, this faulty thinking has seeped right into our Christianity where we reject the hard things and we get stuck in these cycles of just what's the next good thing or pleasurable thing. We reject the pain, the disruption, the sacrifice, the struggle. I'm going to fill my life again with as many good things as possible. But I think there's a reason, especially in the Old Testament, that, that God takes the people of God through caves and wildernesses and pastures and all these places of difficulty where, where he does what? Where he shapes them deeply. Do you know how many times in my life, looking back on pain or disruption, in the moment, all I prayed was God, get rid of it. But looking back on it, I said, God, that was your grace. Because without your grace to humble me, I think my heart would have been filled with pride and I would have thought, you know what, I'm better than I really am. Look what I built. Man, I got us here. This was me. And God sometimes disrupts us out of his grace. And I'm so grateful because guess what? God doesn't want to lose you, your soul, your heart. And there are times that God will use that disruption to pull you back in because disruption is the only way sometimes he can get a hold of us, right? He can get our attention. He loves us so much to disrupt the status quo and the things that we just embrace and the cycles that we get stuck in. It's where God does the greatest soul work. It's often the place and the prerequisite for real change and growth. Pain and discomfort often leads us to a place of trust and surrender. It's often the place of significant breakthrough in our life. Discomfort is the place where, you know what? If God didn't move us there, we wouldn't otherwise go there on our own. If you're taking notes and following along, a few things that I think God does in this process. Your delay is now the space where your faith is tested and becomes genuine. When you are not seeing the fruit or the result of what you wanted, what do you do? Now you actually have to practice faith, right? Now you actually have to practice what you believe. It's not enough just to know it. What do you do when the promise is delayed? Your pain is now the space where God can meet you in your weakness. 
Your pain is the place where God wants to show up. In fact, in this very book that we were just reading in 2 Corinthians, this is where Dave, uh, excuse me, Paul says, uh, man, uh, would you take this thorn in the flesh from me? And what does God say? No. No, I'm not, I'm not going to take this thorn out of your flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. What he does say is my grace is going to be sufficient for you. In your weakness, you're actually going to see my strength and my power at work in your life. That's not the answer we want, is it? But sometimes that's the exact answer we need. No, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. We still pray that God would remove the thorn. There's nothing wrong with that. Pray and believe God, but you have to be okay with the answer. God, if you never remove this thorn, if I have to walk with a limp the rest of my life, I will praise and I will boast in you and who you are. And I will glorify you to the day that I go. Can we say that? That's difficult. Your discomfort is now the place where God can reorder the desires of your heart. It's hard to reorder your heart when you're comfortable, when things are up and to the right, when you're in a season where things are going exactly according to plan, when you're patting yourself on the back and saying, man, how awesome am I? But the place of discomfort is the place where God does soul work. Your disruption is now the space where you learn contentment. When life is disrupted, can you be content in the place that you're in and not the place that you want to be? This is the secret to life. This is Paul in Philippians that's saying, I've learned the secret, the mystery of life. You want to know what it is? Whether I've been on the highest high or the lowest low, Christ is sufficient and enough. That's it. We can go home. That's the secret to life you've all been waiting for. Paul says, I figured it out. I've been well-fed and hungry. I've been living in plenty and in want. I've had both of them and Christ is enough for me in both of them. Can you and I get to the place where we don't ride the wave of emotion or circumstances, but Christ is sufficient in every season? I don't know about you. I'm not there yet. I want to be. Oh, to be in that place. And Paul took a lifetime getting to that place. That's when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's not talking about jumping off your roof and flying. He's saying, I can be content no matter the season, Right? I've learned this secret. And you know what, how he learned the secret? Experience. I had to experience it. And I wish I could just learn things by someone telling me and me and going doing it. But how many know experience is a great teacher? No, I've had it all and I've still felt empty. I've had nothing and I felt empty. And I got to tether myself to something that doesn't change. And it's Christ in every place and every season. The things that you think you need in your heart and soul, you don't really need those. You need more of Jesus. You need to be content with who you are. You need to find your identity in nothing but him. Some of you have been disrupted by life and circumstances. Things outside of your control. I'm sorry. I I pray that God would move you through that season. I pray that God would heal you. I, I pray that if he doesn't, I pray that God's grace would sustain you and give you strength. But this second part here is a little bit harder. And this is where I want to shepherd you and pastor you in love. Some of you need to be disrupted today. You need to be disrupted from your pursuit of comfort and pleasure. You've packed it in. And you said, you know what? I'm going to fill myself with as many good experiences. The next trip, all the things that you fill your life in somehow to fill, fulfill what's lacking in, your whole, and you, uh, lacking in your soul. And you need to be disrupted from those things. You are stuck in a cycle of death that can never satisfy and you are rejecting the hard, painful things in your life that lead to fruit and life. Let me tell you, there are practices of spiritual formation 
Spiritual formation are not the goal. The goal is to live a transformed life, amen? The, the, the goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to renew us in order for us to be more like Christ and more like Jesus. So I call this spiritual f- formation, spiritual practices and disciplines are bridges to help get us from where we are to Christ-likeness. They're not to be legalistically used. But how many know the role of spiritual formation destroys patterns of sin that we get stuck in? Let me give you some examples. These are really good things to write down or screenshot if you want to follow this along or you follow this along. On, it's on cc.guide as well practices that break the cycle that I get stuck in. Fasting. Fasting breaks the cycle of my desire and my flesh. And I hate fasting. I hate it. That's why I need it. Because it breaks something down in me. I realize how strong my flesh is when I fast. I realize that, you know what? I, I do sometimes think that I need that, that next thing, that food, or, or go get that thing in order to like satisfy what's lacking. And fasting breaks that down in me. Serving. Serving breaks the cycle of self-centeredness that you and I all struggle with. Guess what? Life does not revolve around you. It's not about you. This isn't your story that you're writing and we're all just part, part, uh, players in your, in your play. No, you are at a bigger story that God is writing and you get to be a part of his story and his mission. Serving helps us remind ourselves that we are not the center of existence. The world does not orbit around us. Prayer breaks the cycle of self-reliance. How many know we all begin to get in this pattern of self-reliance? Like, I got this. I can manage things. No, you can't. You can't keep all the plates spinning. You, You can't control the outcomes. There are things beyond you that you can't see and know. I have learned this more and more as a father. I have four children. My oldest turned 12 this week. He's headed to middle school. And I like, I've been preparing him right? I, I told him this week, we had a conversation, 12 years old. I said, the, the wrong people are everywhere. The right people are hard to find. You got to find them. You can be friends with everybody. And my oldest is, he, he never met a stranger. Everybody likes him. He's the personality. I was like, be friends with everybody, but you find those few that are going to help lead you to Jesus, right? I can't go to middle school with him and walk with him and say, nope, not that person. Mm-mm, definitely not him. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Nope, stay away from her. What do I have to do? I have to pray that the work of the Spirit is active in his life. I pray what I cannot control and I I can't dictate things, but I pray the Spirit of God would work in you and through you to help lead you because you're full of wisdom and God's given you everything that you need. Prayer breaks the cycle of self-reliance. Retreat breaks the cycle of routine and normalcy. Routine is actually a huge spiritual formation uh, kind of uh, spiritual growth plan in my life is, is the power of retreat. Me getting outside of my normalcy and routine to meet with God. Maybe it's a half day for you. Maybe it's a full day, two days to say, I'm going to retreat to be with you, God, to pray, to grow. Sabbath. Sabbath breaks the cycle of productivity that while you rest, God works. That as you trust God in your Sabbath, that God will do things in your rest that you could never do in your production, amen? That is what you are saying to God. God, I will put down the plow and I will renew myself spiritually, emotionally, and physically because I trust you and not man. I trust you and not my own abilities. It is not me who makes this happen. It is you that sustains me and I will rest out of faith and trust in you, amen? Community. Community breaks the cycle of isolation. This is why you put the right people in your life. Because not every Wednesday when you're supposed to meet your, with your group are you going to feel like it. 
right? And some of you want to go into hiding and there's parts of your life that nobody can know and the right people pull that out of you. You surround yourself with enough of the right people, it will impossible for you to move into isolation and secrecy because you've done the work. You practice confession. It breaks me out of my isolation of being like, I'd rather just kind of wallow in my own self-pity with this right now. But I know you're going to ask me about this when we get together for lunch, right? My inner circle of men I met with on Wednesday. We met lunch every Wednesday. Unless you have a really good excuse or you're dying, you're at our lunch. Or if not, we give each other a hard time. We, we break ourselves out of that isolation. We ask ourselves the hard questions. We encourage each other. You lean in. Community breaks the cycle of isolation in your life. And let me tell you, we are living in a time right now where so many are isolated. And nobody can know the real me or the whole truth. You expose that to the light and you watch how God will lead you into freedom. Faith. Faith breaks the cycle of comfort. It breaks the cycle of comfort in your life. You were and I were designed to live by faith, not to live by comfort. We were designed to live by faith. There's so many people that are walking around saying, man, my, my walk with Christ is boring. It's not an adventure. If you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, it is anything but boring. Because it's always leading you into the unknown. It's always leading you to other people and to brokenness and to how God is at work all around you. Did you know God is at work all around you? You just have to step into the current of the Holy Spirit and be a part of the adventure of what God's doing. Let me ask you this. Where do you need some disruption right now? What needs to be disrupted in your life? What are the cycles that need to be broken? Some of you right now, they're big things. Relationships, time, resources, where you're putting your money. Some of you, you know you're called to use your life for significant kingdom things. And for whatever reason, maybe over the past two years, you've just packed it in. And you said, I'm going to move to self-preservation instead of mission. Maybe you need to break out of that cycle. You were designed to make an impact. Maybe you've just been pursuing the next experience. And then the next experience, and then you need another one, and you need another one. And it's just this repetitive cycle. And there's nothing wrong with the experiences unless they become your idol. You need to break out of that. Maybe it's some, some seemingly small things. Maybe it's this right here. Like it, 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 it's ruining your life. I mean, for real. I mean, five, six, seven hours a day. You're a different person when you're on social media. We are now living in a world of digital disciples. People find their echo chamber. They find the people they want to follow and you are being discipled by those people. And you need to break free from that. There's a reason why your thinking is faulty, why you're leading into deception, because you follow the same group of people that are all saying the same thing. I shared this a few weeks ago. I just deleted the Twitter app. Everybody started clapping weirdly. I was like, I may put it back on. I don't know. <laughs> it's my news source and I'm a news guy. I like news. I like, and, and on Twitter, I can control who I follow, all the news that I need to know, and so I can get on. I found myself getting on, and every time I would get off, I would feel a little bit of heaviness. It's a marker for me. Something's not right. That's not ordinary. That's not healthy behavior. What am I going to do? I'm going to remove that for a season or maybe forever in order to reorder things, right? I'm going to go without the news all the time, because guess what? The world goes on. And people still manage all the stuff without you knowing, without your, without, without your input, right? 
What do you need to do? Maybe it's the TV for you. Maybe it's social media, your phone, the little things. I, I, I removed games from my phone for a season just because I didn't want to be sitting down. I'm like, I don't have free, I have free time. I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to pick up a book. I'm going to wake up a little bit earlier. I'm not going to live with no margin in my life in the morning, always in a hurry. I'm going to create margin to allow God to move and speak in my life, even if it's 10, 15 minutes. How many know little painful, just uncomfortable things can be a game changer? They can lead you to life and blessing. They can break you out of cycles, but you have to have the courage to do it. You have to go and do it. So many people want the breakthrough by like, just pray for me. I'm going to come to the front, lay hands on me, anoint me with oil. I'll experience a breakthrough. Awesome. And sometimes your breakthrough comes as you walk out of this room and you walk in obedience and you take a step of faith and you take action. If you don't believe me, go to the New Testament and the gospels and read almost every story where God did a significant work and a woman fought through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And the man cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. And it was a step of faith that activated God, the move of God in their life and, and brought breakthrough and healing, right? What needs to be disrupted? in your life. Matthew chapter 14, as we wrap this up this morning, is a story that many of you are familiar with. Uh, John the Baptist is executed. Jesus and the disciples are in a type of mourning. Uh, he doesn't have time to mourn because the crowds are all around him, and so he's, he feels compassion, so he teaches them, and this is where he feeds the 5,000. And after Jesus is done, he tells the disciples, he said, get in the boat, go across the other side of the lake, I'll find you a little bit later. I'm gonna go up on the mountainside to pray. Which if I stopped here for a moment, Jesus disrupted the cycle of always being on call and ministering to be alone. This was the pattern of his life. I'm gonna go be alone with the Father and so I can come back and be present with you, right? And we see that happen in Jesus' life. And then we read the stories that goes on. It was the third watch of night. The disciples are out on the lake. They see an individual walking towards them and the scripture says they're terrified which is exactly what you and I would be if we saw somebody in the pitch black of night walking toward us. Jesus tells them, hey, it's me. And here we get Peter in Matthew 14, 28 says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. There are 11 other disciples on that boat and I guarantee their primary goal in that moment was self-preservation. I don't know what's going on, but I wanna get away from it. But one person was willing to take a risk. If I'm honest with you this morning, in a thousand lifetimes, there's probably not a scenario where I would have thought to myself in that moment, you know what? I want to walk on water too. <laughs> I would have probably been the first one down at the bottom of the boat, right? <laughs> Moving the women, children out of the way to get down there first. <laughs> but Peter was that guy, wasn't he? If I'm honest with you, how I'm wired, I would have been in the guy on the boat like, Peter, just sit down and shut up. You overachiever. Just be mediocre like the rest of us. What's so wrong with mediocrity, right? You're always the guy. You got to take your sword out, cut off the ear. You got to say something. Just shut up and sit down. Don't rock the boat, right? Peter begins to walk on water towards Jesus. He looks around at the winds blowing and the waves crashing and he begins to doubt which is easy to do, right? And he begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus. Jesus grabs him, rescues him. Man, why did you doubt? So many people focus on the doubt. They don't focus that, did you know Peter walked on water? Peter walked on water. I don't know about you, but that's a great story. 
Years later, as Peter is gathered around a group of people, he says, let me tell you about what happened this one night. Middle of the night, Jesus walked on water towards us, and I got out of the boat, and I took like four steps. Nobody else has ever walked on water, but I took four steps (laughs) before I sank. Sometimes we just need the courage and the audacity to break out of the place that we're in. To break out of it. The courage and audacity to say, you know what, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to take a step of faith because I don't want to stay here. Like sometimes your breakthrough, it's not overly spiritual. Sometimes it can be extremely practical. I am stuck in a cycle of death and I got to break out and I need somebody to help me. And sometimes little footholds the devil has become strongholds and strongholds can take over your life. And maybe there's a stronghold on your life today and you're just like, man, I got this. And the enemy's trying to tell you the lie after lie. Yeah, you got it. Yo, you're just, you're one step away. And you need to confess to somebody. You need help. You need to open up your life to somebody. And let me tell you, healing's not going to come because you can manage your own life. Sometimes you just need the courage and the audacity to break out of it, to be honest. What if we learn to regularly embrace disruption and discomfort? What if we ask God this morning, how are you using this disruption to draw me to you? What are the cycles that need to be broken? What needs to change? Where am I stuck? Have I lost focus? Have I, have I just traded in my, 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 my living on mission for Jesus just for safety and comfort and just trying to like, man, just protect what I have? That's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy just to go into self-preservation and protection when God has called us to so much more. I have been preaching every week now for 16 years. I know I don't look that old, do I? Started when I was 12. No, I didn't. Started when I was about 22, 23. And I've learned one thing as a preacher, that it doesn't matter what I preach on, I will get tested in the very thing that I'm about to preach on. It just always works that way. And like when I'm about to preach on marriage, I look over at Lindsay and I'm like, we're about to have the fight of the century this week because I'm preaching on marriage on Sunday. So just prepare yourself, right? There are times where I've been preaching on marriage and like conflict resolution. We've been in the middle of a fight on the way to church and I'm like, how, how am I going to do this, right? <laughs> I knew last week I was preaching on disruptions. And I would rather tell a million other stories than this one, but I'm going to throw it out there for you anyway. So Tuesday morning, we're meeting with our a con- incredible construction team that we have on the new building. We knew when we started this construction that there, in a COVID world, there are all kinds of construction delays and shipping delays and good luck getting everything. And we had navigated every one of them. Some of you are like, why are you guys so crazy about all this steel that was just put in? Because we literally had to wait eight weeks on what some people are waiting, waiting 30 to 40 weeks for. It's a big deal. Our construction manager, who's amazing, we have an amazing company we're working with, they have just outdone themselves in every way of excellence. He looks at us and he says, well, we, we finally hit one of those things. He said, the emission standards for the EPA and all these HVAC units uh, have changed. All the uh, orders were canceled in 2022. They're not shipping until 2023. We need all new HVAC units in our new building. It was all canceled. I'm not gonna lie to you. I wanted to, to punch my, my hand through the wall. We had navigated all this stuff. In fact, this morning, I was coming up here to give you the timeline for our move-in, right? 
super pumped about that. There are times, and I'm going to get back to the building. Some of you are like, when are we going to move in? I'll get there in a minute. That's not, not really what it's about this morning. It's about my conflict. <laughs> it's about me. Just let me process this with you for a second, all right? It's a lot cheaper than seeing a counselor. <laughs> there are moments, I'll be honest with you, I feel like Elijah who called down fire from heaven and slaughtered the prophets of Baal. You remember in that same story, like days later and Jezebel's like, I'm gonna kill you. And he runs like a scared little boy to the desert, climbs under a tree and says, just kill me. I felt that way on Tuesday. I stayed up all night. I couldn't sleep. I was writing things down. I'm like, I'm gonna find an HVAC unit. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go door to door, knock and say, you're using that 15 ton unit up there, right? These are like massive units we're talking about. We're not talking about like yours at home. <laughs> I'm gonna go door to door. I'm gonna find a building that's not using it. Like we're gonna, we're gonna move in. Like we are gonna have Christmas services in there. Like we had planned all along, we're doing this, right? And even though that night, God just reordering things in me. You spent eight months waiting for a legal battle with this building to play out. You spent two years waiting for COVID to figure out what's going to happen. With these HVAC units, we're talking about weeks delay, not months or years. And yet I wanted to run into the desert and just say, kill me. Sometimes you just need perspective on life. I'm grateful for our trustees who immediately stepped in, navigated this, figured out a solution that won't delay us too much longer. Right? Because sometimes you need that perspective, disruptions. It, your disruptions in your life, this is when things get real. When you really have a disruption, you're like, that sucks. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to go down that route. And yet God does so much in that, doesn't he? Like even this week, like I realize in me, I am just so sick of waiting on that building. Like I just hit my lid. Some of you don't know this. We started pursuing that building in 2018. 2018, we waited through the legal battle. We renegotiated. We're about to show a video on the whole journey, so you're going to flip out. Like, no, oh, you don't even know this whole story. Yeah, we had copper th thieves hit nine straight days, like 20 times. About drove Pastor Jim and I crazy. Like the story of waiting and perseverance. And yet sometimes you get sick of waiting, don't you? You're like, I'm going to take this into my own hands. God, if you won't move, I'll move for you. Are we real? I'll move it. I can make things happen. It may not be your will or your way, but I'll make it move. No, be patient. Because I want to do something in the waiting. I want to do something. And God has done so much in the waiting for us. If you are just right where you're at, if you would close your eyes. And what is it right now in your life that needs to be disrupted? You can wait for life to disrupt you. Or wisdom will say this. You can invite the disruption into your life to become the healthiest part of you. To live on mission. Will you invite disruption? The right disruption. And even discomfort into your life. Father, we just ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts. We know the greatest teacher that we have is the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us into all truth. And even this morning as we opened your word and as we led into this, you were already speaking to hearts, maybe small, big, 
places where we need to be disrupted, where we need to break out of the cycles that we are stuck in. We are repeating a cycle of death and expecting to find life. Help us. Out of your grace, break us out of what keeps us trapped. Don't allow the lies of the enemy to tell us you are stuck or that's the way it's going to be or it has to be. Father, break us out of what is leading to death. Give us the courage and the tenacity to walk out of these doors and to walk in obedience and to say yes to hard, difficult things that produce the fruit of the Spirit inside of us because we don't need one more good experience. We need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. God, we need the fruit to be alive in us, Father. Speak to us this morning, God. If you want to begin to prepare communion, just right where you're at. In just a minute, we're going to take together. We practice this every week as a church. We reorder and re recenter our heart around the cross. We remind ourselves we are not what the world says we are, you are not your political affiliation. You are not what somebody has said about you. You're not, you are not what you do for a living. You are not your past sins or failures. You are a son and you are a daughter. And guess what? You didn't do one thing to earn that. And there's not one thing you can do to make it stop. And every week we just gather ourselves back around the table and we say, Jesus, you are sufficient for us. You are everything. We don't agree on everything in this room but we lift up the name of Jesus and Jesus is enough. Scripture tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he passed around, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, eat, do this in remembrance of me that my brokenness will make you whole. Let's take together. And he took the cup. His blood poured out for us to give us life. We could not rescue and save ourselves. We could not make an offering for our own sin. And Jesus did it for us. Let's take together. Before we end this service, would you take a moment in just gratitude and thankfulness? We always end this time practicing gratitude for what Christ has done. God, we thank you this morning that we deserve death and yet you gave us life. That he who was without sin became sin for us. Thank you. God, we don't walk out of these doors in entitlement or pride, but in humility and thankfulness, Father. We live out of a heart of thankfulness and gratitude, overflowing because of the work of Jesus for us until we see you face to face again. Father, help us to live faithfully. Thank you, Father. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team, any of our elders uh, in the room that are here, if you would go ahead and come forward as we exit in just a minute. And if you need prayer for anything, something you're carrying today with you, you need healing in your body or you need God to move in someone else, we just want you to stop and pray with someone who just wants to agree with you. There's popcorn outside for you guys. If you want to stick around for a little while, uh, hang out with us. And if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just directly across the lobby, just 30 seconds of time, just our way of honoring you. Let's end with our mission statement. Live it out this week, wherever you are. Be the gospel. Just like way back in the days of old.